Hey everyone, welcome to Unrefined Women. I'm your co-host Agnes. And I'm your other co-host Margaret. This podcast is an ongoing dialogue between two sisters on the topics of spirituality, religious trauma, mental health, family dynamics, and feminism. We are very grateful you could join us today. So this topic was a little spontaneous for us just because this has been something that's been on my mind, especially in the last few months. Um, And then also me just observing the way that Margaret lives her life and just the differences and how we respond in social situations. So I wanted to kind of pick Margaret's brain a little bit and see what her story was on how she communicates with other people, um, how social anxiety is present in her life and how she's overcome it in different ways. And then I also share some of the stories of my life where it has caused my social anxiety to either get worse or just get better. I think what was interesting in this um, episode is we didn't really plan it too much. It was very unstructured. We just had a very organic conversation. And at the end of the episode, I feel like we kind of came to some conclusions around um, some tangible solutions as to how we've worked through social anxiety. And I don't think that either of us have like beat social anxiety. Like, I don't think you really can. I think it's just something that you kind of learn to cope with. But I thought it was cool how we were able to kind of identify and name some of the ways that we cope with social anxiety and just work through it in our lives at this point. Yeah, and I also definitely got the vibe that this has been something that everybody has dealt with. And even just hearing your story, Margaret, and how you yourself have experienced this, even though I see you as an extremely confident person, it makes me realize how present it is in other people's lives. So if I hope that this speaks to any of our listeners that either do suffer from social anxiety or know people that suffer from social anxiety. And of course, you can always reach out if you do have any questions. How was your week? Um, well, it's only Monday. <clears throat> so my Monday's been fine. It's been a Monday. Yeah, nothing to report. No, I don't. I don't have anything to report. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, let's just jump. Into it. <laughs> uh, anyways, Margaret, how do you feel about interacting with human beings? <laughs> That's a great way to put it. I feel like it's funny. I know. I feel like it's funny you asked me that because I'm now working a job that requires me to interact with people like to an extreme level. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I'm having interesting thoughts around it, I guess, Mm -hmm. because as an introvert doing bartending, which is essentially like hosting a party every night, (laughs) um, which used to be like my worst nightmare, but now it's my job. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like that definitely requires a lot of energy. Um, And it's surprising to me because people that see me bartending, they think that I'm extroverted. And I'm like, ha, 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 that's so funny. You don't see the crash after I get off of work and I go home and sleep for 10 hours. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I kind of just want to talk about this this whole thing of social anxiety and communication with you and just kind of see what happens because I have a few kind of things that came to mind initially when I thought about the episode, but really I don't have much more than that. We're totally winging it. Yeah, I agree. So I wanted I want to know cuz it was your idea to have this episode. What are your thoughts? Like initial thoughts on social anxiety and communication? 
I am overall an extremely anxious person and I never really noticed or like sat down and like looked up the symptoms of anxiety and been like, oh yeah, that's me self-diagnosing. So I, before I self-diagnosed myself with anxiety, I never would have even like knew what anxiety was, like the definition of it and like, you know, defining that emotion. And um, it was, I think my sophomore year of high school was when I like actually realized that I suffer from like extreme, extreme levels of anxiety, debilitating levels of anxiety to the point where I can get like physically ill from the levels of anxiety that I get. And a lot of that morphed into, or a lot of that is from social anxiety and I feel like there's never been a time in my life where I haven't had social anxiety with people other than my family members because I was homeschooled for large portions of my life. And like, for example, when, when I'm like socializing with you, um, it, it, I don't feel anxious about it cause you're my sister and I've socialized with you since I was mm-hmm. born. Um, same thing with like a lot of my family members or really close friends, I don't have that, but when it comes to like meeting new people, I get extreme amounts of social anxiety. Surprisingly though, not with a podcast, like when we interview people, but I feel like that's because it's like through the screen and it's more of like a set thing, like a more, uh, I don't want to say like scripted at all, but definitely more, we know what we're going to discuss. Um, but yeah, those are my thoughts. I'm just like a very socially anxious person and I struggle with the way that I communicate with other people. And I've the reason why I even brought this up to you is because I feel like you're the opposite. And I feel like you're such you're so good at communicating with other people that I just like want to talk about it with you and just like see where you're at with your communication levels. So I have a couple of thoughts that came to mind as you were talking. Um, first of all, I guess regarding my my experience with socializing, because I definitely am a very anxious person too. And we've talked about this too. We had a, a podcast episode called Anxiety. I think it was in the first 10 episodes, yeah. if I remember. So if anyone wants to go back and listen to us, really deep dive into anxiety. Um, it's. I think I do have social anxiety still. Um, I've just learned certain ways how to manage it, I guess. So it doesn't usually control, like take over and consume me in a situation unless I'm already like completely depleted. Like if I've already socialized way too much mm-hmm. and I haven't recharged my batteries or if I'm just feeling like really tired or like not myself, um, then it's easier to kind of let the or, or have the anxiety take over me a little bit more. Um, I think it's also just recognizing in myself kind of like areas where initially a situation might be awkward, but I know that if I kind of lean into it and work through it, it will get better. Then that's usually what happens. Like in my work settings, like I'll show up for my shift as an example. Um, in the first hour or so, like it might be kind of hard for me. Like I have to really kind of force myself to engage with people. It's kind of awkward and uncomfortable for me at first, but once I kind of break through it, um, the rest of my shift is great and I have a great time and I love talking to people. Mm -hmm. So I kind of just have to push through, I guess. But I think what's also, um, 
what I'm also pondering is that I definitely have this part of me, I think, that has to people please a little bit. And I'm not sure if it's just because I'm like an INFJ, which are considered like chameleons, like you walk into an environment and you just sort of meld into what feels appropriate for the situation. Um, I don't know if it's that or if I have some trauma around needing to people please people in order for me to feel safe. Because if you're like saying the right things and doing the right things with the people around you, they won't harass you or they'll leave you alone. You know, I think we definitely had some of that from like religious trauma growing up. So I don't know, it could be a combination of that or something else. So sometimes I wonder if my ability to adapt in social situations is healthy or not. Like I think obviously it can be healthy to a degree because it helps me get through my day. But sometimes I wonder if the coping mechanisms that I've developed um, were coping mechanisms that came from trauma, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that's interesting. And I honestly, like the way that I see it is definitely a quality. I know it's easier for you to see those habits in you, but like when I see you in social settings, you definitely know how to converse with people and make other people feel comfortable. And even just like how I'm just like going to praise you over here, but like even when like you, when not only when you lived in Vegas, but also now where you're at, you're able to build these relationships with people and connect with them and not to compare myself or be sobby, but I'm just not simply like that. I'm okay with not being like that, but I just find it like very interesting. And I kind of wonder if it's like the oldest sibling syndrome that gives you that relatability with other people, or maybe it's just like your personality, like how you mentioned, but I don't know. I think it's super admiring, though, that you're able to connect with people on such a personal level. And even if you feel anxious about it, I definitely can't tell. Like it's very you're very much of a confident person socially. Uh, I think I think to a degree. I mean, I think at this point in my life, I do have a certain amount of self-confidence, which helps me kind of push mm-hmm. through in situations like if I'm in a social inter- interaction that ends up being really awkward. I rarely walk away from the situation like shaming myself or like like talking down to myself. Um, Usually I'll just chalk it up as, oh, it just the the vibe was off between the two of us. and It was just kind of awkward. Or I'll be like, oh, I said this and maybe I shouldn't have said that. But you know what? Like I did the best that I could. It's okay. Mm. Like I think I'm pretty kind to myself in that regard. So I think because of that, I think because I kind of am comfortable with myself in that regard, um, I think that kind of helps me to, to not shame myself. Interesting. So then, you know, I think something else, which is really interesting, and I'm, and I'm re- remembering this now from childhood, apparently I was a super shy child. Like actually in my baby books that like mom made for me, it says in there that I was like a really shy baby and I didn't like strangers or like Mm. people I didn't know talking to me. Like I was really scared. Um, And I remember when you were little, I felt like you were so, you were such an extroverted baby. Like you just loved everybody and you were so like wanting to meet people and talk to people. You had like no fear. Yeah. So I'm kind of like wondering like what happened in our lives (laughs) where like I, it flipped, I swear, like what happened 
And I feel like I definitely like went through some trauma because of my shyness and it forced me to have to work through it. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if maybe you, I'm going to just hypothesize, maybe you opened yourself up a lot to certain people that hurt you and caused you to shut down. Mm. Am I guessing correctly or am I in the ballpark? A little bit. Yeah. A similar vibe. So I was extremely extroverted and when I was younger and I say up until I say about third or fourth grade and then I was introverted for a while and then high school I was very extroverted and I was able to kind of pinpoint it a couple years ago on how that how I shifted like back and forth. And I, I, I can't say for when I was younger, cause I don't really have a memory very like, I think that I was just excited to meet people and especially being in a big family. Um, and then also the youngest, I was definitely a little bit of an, an attention seeker, just like naturally not anything extreme, just like being a kid. Um, where I wanted to have attention from other people, which made me extroverted. But when I was in high school, I was very extroverted on the outside. And I was like the person that talks the loudest in conversations. And I will like input myself, not like in a rude way, but just like an extroverted way. I was just friendly with everybody. I wasn't afraid of anybody. I would just say it how it is. I wasn't afraid to raise my hand in class, but all of that extroversion was thriving off of the anxiety that I was already feeling. So in high school, it's like, it's like putting yourself on Adderall, like 24 seven. And when I was in high school, I was just filled with so much anxiety because I just felt like the black sheep of the school and I st- I had a st- I struggled with my classes and my grades a lot more than the other students. So I had to work extra hard for that and then also work extra hard to like not to be accepted and not just be like the bad, bad high school girl <laughs> because everyone just like viewed me as like this like corrupted person. And because of that, I just had so much anxiety and sadness in my body where I would just wanted to be accepted and I wanted to be like I loved everybody at my high school right and it was very painful to have all these relationships and people that I cared about but then also know that like they don't necessarily feel the same way about me or their family doesn't necessarily feel the same way about me and something I've always struggled with and this is just really weird but when I was really young I really young as in like 12 or 13 I had a really good friend and I met her through a friend of a friend at a party and we we got really close and we would text each other every day and I went and visited her a few times and we had the sleepovers but it turned out that her family her parents thought I was like this really bad girl (laughs) and mind you I'm like 12 or 13 I'm not causing any harm I wasn't like swearing or stealing or being a bad influence like I think at that point I was homeschooled I dressed like a dork I had a flip phone like I was I didn't have social media I was very very dorky and her parents thought that I was just some awful person and that caused tension between our friendship because it just like sucked all the time to have this friend that I cared about but know that her parents wouldn't let her text me or she had to like sneak around to text me or call me. 
And I think over like the span of our friendship, it just eventually faded out. And then we just kind of stopped talking entirely just because I kind of, I think that her parents' opinion on me rubbed off on her. And the similar thing happened to me in high school where I had all these friends that I really cared about, but their parents weren't particularly very big fans of me or my family. And because of that, they thought I was just some horrible person and their child, their child shouldn't hang out with me. And that caused a lot of trauma because when you're telling a 12 year old girl that quite frankly is not causing any scandal or any issues, like I consider myself very innocent. I think we actually had this conversation recently where I, a lot of people saw me as some like horrible, like unvirtuous person, but I consider myself, I thought I was very innocent up until, I mean, obviously now, like I've evolved as an adult, but throughout high school and all of that, like I wasn't doing anything any more crazy than I feel like other people do, if that makes sense. Um, Mm -hmm. so that caused a lot of anxiety and it's really interesting. I just want to bounce back to what you said about, uh, you having awkward situations happen and how you don't really beat yourself up about it. And until like the last six months, now I don't really do it anymore. But before then, I used to really tear myself apart whenever I had an awkward situation. And I would just feel like it was all my fault. And I got, I made it awkward. And I just would like, I would walk away from a situation, even if it wasn't even an awkward situation. And I would just rethink everything that I said and I would just feel like I was the one that made it Mm. awkward and I would just feel bad about it and then I would just feel like they're thinking the same thing about me and it just caused so much anxiety and I think that like now I don't really do it as much but it's definitely it definitely takes a lot of practice to get to a point where you don't do that. I think something that kind of helped me kind of work through that myself, like to not overanalyze conversations or walk away, like really um, breaking everything down detail by detail and like tearing myself down for little things that I said or didn't said. Mm -hmm. I think part of what helped me work through it was just recognizing that most other people have social anxiety too. And so most people are walking away from a conversation and they're, analyzing it themselves Mm -hmm. and tearing themselves apart so I kind of got to this point where I was like okay I'm probably the only person that's like focusing in on what I did or said and everyone else is focused in on what they did or Mm -hmm. said which is kind of sad so I'm just going to give myself and everybody else grace in this and you know so it's interesting because I feel like I'm highly aware of that fact that other people feel awkward in such in social situations but I have kind of gotten to a point in my life and I think this especially comes out in like my work environment where I've kind of reached a point where I'm, I interact with the same people every single day for the last year. And I feel like I've just kind of immune, I've become immune to awkward situations. So like the first six months of when I worked at my workplace, I just felt like I could not connect with anybody. I just felt so alienated and just awkward I just like did not know how to be a functioning non-awkward human being and how to hold conversations that were not awkward and I that just like took so much energy out of me and took so much out of like me actually focusing on my job because I just felt like 
it sounds like weird to say, but like I wanted people to like me. I don't think there's any shame in saying that. I think that's a completely natural human thing to just like want your peers to like you and not like, oh, I want them to adore me and give me attention, but I want to fit in. I want to be accepted. And I kind of got to a point, I think in like the springtime where I just got so fed up with everything of just like constantly letting this social anxiety and this like need for acceptance just completely take over all of my energy throughout the week that I just kind of stopped caring and just kind of understood that I don't necessarily need to be accepted or liked by my peers, especially in a workplace, because at the end of the day, it is just my workplace. It's not, this isn't my life. So I kind of just stopped caring about the, like the conversations that I was having and I don't want to say that like I definitely like I want to continue to hold intellectual and valuable conversations with people and build real real connections but I stopped beating myself up and I started listening to internal cues so um, for example I'm a receptionist at a firm firm right now and sometimes like the phone will be ringing in the middle of a conversation and I used to feel so awkward being like oh, hey, sorry, I had to go answer the phone and then end a conversation like in the middle of a conversation. And I've kind of like started to teach myself how to exit different environments or just think situations like that. And I think it's definitely like practice Mm -hmm. makes perfect because I still struggle with it. Um, So uh, one thing I now need to work on because of this (laughs) is that I feel like I'm almost being rude to the people around me and that has created a different type of social anxiety and not so much on the way that like how I'm interacting like instead of walking away from a conversation feeling like oh my god what I said that was so weird they must think I'm so awkward but instead it'll be like two hours after a conversation I'm like I feel like what I said was kind of rude or I feel like the way that I exited that conversation was kind of rude or the way that I laughed at that comment was kind of rude because I've almost built this like intolerance to awkward situations because I've just have become so sick and tired of awkward situations I just stopped caring that now, like within the last six months in my workplace, we've had a lot of new people that are in the similar age group as me that have come into our firm. And because of that, I almost feel like they're kind of going through what I was in the sense that they're feeling a little bit more awkwardness about being there. And now I'm just kind of like, whatever, I don't care. And then like kind of like making them feel uncomfortable. I don't know. It's just like it's crazy how mm-hmm. it just goes like full circle and you just... I don't know. You just go through different phases of awkwardness and social interactions. Well, it sounds kind of like a pendulum swing. Like in the beginning, you were really awkward and kind of overanalyzing situations and overanalyzing things that you would say or not say. And then it got to a point where that you kind of just burned out mm-hmm. and then you the, pink, the pendulum swung and now you almost just sort of disconnect yourself a little bit in conversations or you cut off that part of yourself that is um I I hate saying like cutting off empathy but to a degree yeah Yeah. like you're kind of protecting yourself a little bit in these conversations because you kind of burned yourself out from caring too much um and what I found in my life is when that happens usually you end up 
kind of finding that middle ground anyway, where you're going to be able to know when to have more empathy and connect and then where to just sort of put your head down and do what you have to do to conserve your energy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it's, I mean, something else I was thinking too, is that, you know, oh, I just lost my train of thought now. <laughs> Hey everyone, we hope you're enjoying this week's episode. We'd like to take a quick moment to pause and tell you about our Patreon. Unrefined Women offers a pay-what-you-can model in which each tier has access to the same content and community. This follows our values that each person is worthy and deserving of connection, regardless of financial circumstances. And some of the benefits to joining our Patreon include access to our virtual monthly Sunday brunch, online private community where we share Q&As, memes, behind the scenes content, and general conversation. Additionally, we post a bonus episode each month. You can access our Patreon by downloading the Patreon app or going to patreon.com on your browser and looking up Unrefined Women. As always, we are so grateful for your support. Running a podcast requires a lot of time and financial commitment on our part. Thank you so much for being a part of our community. And now back to the episode. So that's just been kind of my growth in situations where you'll kind of swing from one extreme to the other before you kind of find that happy middle ground of how to navigate social situations and when to put out more energy and use more energy. And then when you don't have it, when to kind of pull back and conserve that energy. Um, but I've, I've noticed that myself too in situations. I think um, there's this part of me and I think this is part of being the oldest sister. I have this like caretaker part of me where I feel responsible for making everybody else feel comfortable. And that's like pressure that I put on myself. And I kind of do that to myself in my work environment too, where I really, really want everybody in the room to feel comfortable and safe. And so I'm constantly like squeezing every ounce of energy out of myself to try to like navigate all of the complexities of the vibrations between different people and the room as a whole it's like this this energy if you imagine like a water balloon like I feel like when I'm at work sometimes I'm holding a giant water balloon and I'm trying to balance it and the water's like going back and forth because I feel like as a bartender or as someone that's like hosting or you're kind of leading a social interaction it's like you're constantly having to read the room mm-hmm. and you're having to read people and you're kind of navigating the different, many different conversations you're having with many different people. Um, and some of them are deep conversations and some of them are social, like surface level conversations. Mm-hmm. And then you're having to like watch for interactions between other people to make sure that there's nothing funky happening between other people. And it's like, holy shit, <laughs> you really have to get into a groove. But I tend to just like make myself feel responsible for all of that going smoothly, even if there's social interactions that are beyond my control. And really, at the end of the day, like most things are out of my control. And I think I just like to tell myself a story that I have some level of control to like keep myself calm. Mm -hmm. But I think that's like maybe some of the other traumas that I have or like areas that I focus on is not so much myself, like what I'm saying or not saying I just get really like overly focused on what everybody else is feeling because I want everyone to feel good and that can be so overwhelming to feel just like trying to control other people's emotions so that everybody's good but you can't just like convince I don't know it's like really weird like if there's a if you're in a group (laughs) a set a social setting and there's just some hot air 
happening, you can't necessarily fix that. Like you can just like hope and pray and just like try to lead the conversation to a more like functional way, but it's difficult to like get in between stuff like that and make it functioning. And I feel like at least for me personally, if I had your job, I would definitely struggle a little bit because I feel as if when I have conversations, it's easier for me to focus on what I'm saying and focus on what they're, what they're saying and being a good listener when I'm seated or relaxed and you're on your feet and you're managing so many things like you're making drinks sometimes you're serving trying to make sure everybody's good if somebody calls out late like if you guys are slammed and then on top of that you're trying to control a social setting of all of these people that are surrounded by you and not only are you handling all of that but also just being in the presence of people because people radiate their energy their personality and who they are Mm -hmm. every their traumas their happiness their home lives literally like walks around with everybody like a scent and your body picks up on that so that's why when you go to concerts or to the grocery store or whatever you feel kind of like drained it's like you know I didn't work out and I didn't do anything crazy so why do I feel so physically drained but it's, it's the same sort of sense. Like your body is picking up and feeding off of this energy. And that sounds exhausting. So good for you. You're really doing God's yeah, work. I guess here, Margaret. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Slinging drinks, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting kind of how we've come from different backgrounds in that regard. Like you being more like social as a child, me being shy and then kind of being in the situations we are now. Yeah. So are there certain, are there certain like moments or can, are there moments or periods in your life that you can kind of pinpoint where kind of pivotal in shaping you as you are now in social situations? Like you shared the story about, um, that friend you had when you were younger and like their parents like had a bad opinion of you and that kind of ended that relationship. And then later on in high school, having kind of the same thing, like, I feel like already like in those two situations that you shared with me, it seems like a lot of your social anxiety might stem from um, other people's opinions, like actually causing uh, negative effects, like tangible negative effects in your social life. Mm-hmm. Like having parents that had a bad opinion of you and a very false opinion of you. And then it like destroying that relationship. And then in high school, having kind of the same thing where people at the school had these negative opinions of you and they had this story in their head of who you were as a person, which wasn't true, which then caused for there to be tension in your relationship. So like you've had life is sort of like tried to prove to you that like, you know, that like other people's opinions can damage you and that has happened. Mm -hmm. So do you feel like that's like kind of one of the main reasons why you have social anxiety? Yes. And I think it's because, and you know what? I, I always say this. I'm definitely like, I call myself out and I don't mean to sound like a spoiled brat, but it's just how it is. But, um, I feel like, especially like right now, it's different for me saying this, but when I look past on my, like my younger self, I have this weird obsession with my younger self. I love her and I have so much like 
deep, deep love and compassion for who I once was because only I understood like what she went through and just, I really, truly care about her. And that version of me did not believe the same thing that other people believed about me. So when I was in situations where people were holding bad opinions about me, it sucked because I grew up in a household where name calling was common. We all just talked shit Mm -hmm. about each other. My parents would talk shit about each other. My siblings, we would all just like tear each other apart. I remember calling my siblings just horrible names because our, our home was so dysfunctional and it was like, nobody was there to correct us and be like, Hey, that's unkind. You don't say that about somebody else. I thought that calling, you know, cussing out my sibling was okay. I thought that was normal. And as I grew older, I started, yeah, I almost like, I just, I started to like, in order to like heal myself from that trauma, I wanted to make sure that I was none of those things. And so I started believing myself. Like I held a kind value for myself. Right. And the way that I viewed myself was in a kind manner. And I was, I have heard people call me names so many times. I just like it, I hated it. I hated it when people called me names because it would just make me feel like shit about myself. And I just feel like these people don't understand who I truly am and like my values. And so when somebody would come to me and say these things to me, and I I don't mean like somebody holding, like a, a person that I love holding me accountable for something wrong that I did. I mean, people that are just like, like gossip and people talking shit about me and saying just mean things in conversation it fucking hurts. It sucks for me because it's like, that's not who I am. Like that is not, or at least that's not who I believe that I am. And it's just this huge slap in the face, Mm -hmm. especially when it's with somebody that I thought like, it just sucks when you have a conversation with someone and you just feel like you built like a good connection, but then you find out later that they were talking shit about you or they said this about you or they, you know what I mean? It's, it's a really shitty feeling. And I feel like I just take it very, I don't want to say more than other people. Cause I don't know what, how other people take it, but I'm just particularly sensitive about those types of things. And I feel like that has caused a lot of the social anxiety that I have because I have spent so much of my life being around people forced to be, I, I was forced to be around people that I knew were actively talking shit about me and that fucking sucks to be forced to be around people Mm -hmm. and give people respect especially when I was at the school that I was at and your teachers or the principal or the the priests that worked for the school I know that they're talking shit about me and I have to have a conversation with them now and be respectful and not have that be an issue same thing with workplaces when you're in a workplace and there's some drama going down and somebody's talking shit about you but then you have to come into work and you have to be professional and you can't bring it up and you know your job's on the line if you make some drama about it I I just think it's so unfair and I myself have even noticed that in other people and just in workspaces in general as well 
when somebody else, I hear that somebody else was saying something bad about some, like one of my friends, I take that personally because I just like, I know that if I were on the other end of that, if I were the person that they were talking shit about, it would fucking suck. I would be heartbroken. And so I will always defend my friends if somebody or the people that I love, if somebody else is talking shit, even like you can't always just like stand up in a conversation and be like, no, you're wrong. I'm tattling on you for saying that. But even just not engaging in conversation like that, I have been stuck in several situations, even recently where people are actively talking shit about people that I hold high value for and I just have to sit there and just be silent and just not and I feel like sometimes that's the best thing for you to do none of us are perfect we're not all like loud activists but even just not even engaging in the conversation or just walking away from a conversation when people are just saying mean things I think that's like one of the most hurtful things that you can do to another person. And I know that a lot of people say, oh, like, just get over it. People will always talk shit. And there's all these mantras about not caring about what other people have to say. But I just feel like that's one of the most horrible things. I don't know. Like, I just, I just think it fucking sucks when people talk shit about you. Yeah, because I think it has like an element of betrayal in there, especially when it's someone that you thought was your friend. And then you find out they're talking about you. Or like it really hurts me deeply when I am having a conversation with somebody and then they start to gossip or talk badly about somebody who I know looks to that person with like high regard. Right. It makes me feel really sad for that other person because it's like, oh, like this person, this other person, this third party really holds with great esteem this person that I'm talking to and the person that I'm talking to is talking shit about them. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, like when I see that happening for me, that is a huge red flag. And I always tell myself, I'm going to be very careful the kinds of things I say to this person now, because I hear how they're talking about other people. This is not someone that I can be, I can feel safe enough to be vulnerable with. Mm -hmm. And it also takes a lot of self-control because I am not going to say that I'm completely perfect at this. And in my life, I know that I have engaged in a lot of conversation that has talked shit about people that I love. And I'll admit it, like I've been in conversations where, you know, someone will talk about talk shit about someone and I will laugh or be like, oh, yeah. And then this person said this. I've engaged in it because it is extremely addicting to gossip. And I think it takes a lot of self-control to not engage in those conversations. And even if it's just one situation where you chose to control that like addiction of gossiping or just to walk away, that itself is already like a great thing for you to do because it can be very hard to not gossip, especially when you're from a big family or a small workplace. It's easy to just be like, oh my God, did you hear that this and this person did this? <laughs> and then you're like, oh my God, I noticed that too. And then you just get in this whole conversation. It's very easy to do that. And it takes mm-hmm. a lot of self-control to start checking yourself and saying like, hey, it doesn't really matter. It's none of your business. And I feel like that has also been very helpful for me with my social anxiety is to start making those choices. Like I'm not going to engage in this conversation because this is hurtful towards either even so even if it's somebody that I don't even really care or know about I just know it's hurtful and 
I think that that has also helped my social anxiety because I felt so often that in order for me to fit in because of my social anxiety, I needed to engage in gossip and engage in those things so that I was accepted. But I kind of realized that I don't want to be accepted. Like if I'm going to gain acceptance and attention from people, I don't want it to be around people that talk shit all day. I just like, if that's, I kind of realize that it is a privilege for everybody, for everybody. It is a privilege for people to give you their attention. Right. And I just don't want to, or to even like spend your energy on somebody else. That is a privilege for you to give to them. And that's a precious thing. And it's not worth giving that to somebody who has a low moral standard when it comes to talking shit about other people. So that has really helped with my social anxiety and just kind of stop caring about being socially acceptable when I know that these people aren't necessarily on the same moral level that I would want to be. Not saying I am, but like this, I admire to be at a certain moral standard. And if those people aren't going to at least try to be on the same page as me, they're not particularly worth me spending my time and energy on. I feel like what I'm hearing from you as ways that you're learning to manage and cope with your social anxiety is being like finding ways to give yourself agency in situations. So putting yourself in situations where you feel like you have choices, whether it's navigating phone calls at the desk when you're having a conversation and another call's coming in, like you've kind of learned through trial and error what things to do and say to kind of politely end a conversation or pause a conversation so you can deal with something and come back or deal with something and and that conversation has been completed. Mm-hmm. So I feel like hearing like kind of knowing your way out of situations has helped give you comfort. And then also in situations, like you said, when you're interacting with someone, if it's uncomfortable, if this other person is acting in ways that you don't feel comfortable with, or they're engaging in certain conversations and behaviors that you feel are not aiming towards the person that you want to be, um, like knowing, knowing where that line is for you and then knowing that you can walk away from that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm curious, um, I did share a little bit on, on what, where I found my social anxiety was rooted. Do you feel like there was a point in your life where like when you were younger, you're in, in your childhood where you feel like your social anxiety was just really bad or you have a specific memory of having just a really bad dehabilitating experience in a social environment? Um, I don't know if I necessarily have like certain moments that for sure like altered the course of how I deal with social situations. Um, but I do know that like high school in general was just really hard for me. I think I'd always been really shy. Like as I shared, like mom said, I was always shy, like from the time that I was small. But I also was kind of protected in the way that we were homeschooled. I wasn't around a lot of people that were foreign to me very often. So I never got to exercise that part of myself to work through it. And so that all kind of came to a head, I feel like, in high school because I was involved in a lot more because of my music. Because of violin, I was teaching already in high school. I was interning for a music program. I was in a few different orchestras. 
Um, And that kind of like got me in the door to socializing with other people that were not like from our neighborhood or from our church. And I kind of came face to face with how out of touch with the culture that I, I was like being around other high schoolers. Like I had no idea what movies they were talking about. I had no idea what pop culture references they were talking about. I had no idea what music they were talking about. Like I didn't even know who the Beatles were. Like it was so embarrassing. <laughs> And I think that that was such a painful time because I was trying so hard to feel part of a group, which I never really was ever like part of a group in high school. I think I kind of drifted around like I would have all of my I would have like a huge diverse group of friends and all of them would be in friends groups, but I would be like the only person they knew like vice versa. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had like my toe in the door of like several different like groups, but I was never like part of a group. And I think now looking back, I can appreciate that. I think now it actually gives me um, a lot of strength in my life because I have such a diverse group of friends and most of them don't know each other. Um, But I don't know. It's just it's kind of fun for me. And Mm -hmm. I think I'm kind of a little bit rebellious at the same time, too. Like part of me doesn't want to feel part of a social group because then I'll have just like given up and conformed and I don't want to like give up and conform to some group. (laughs) So I kind of enjoy being the outsider now, but it was definitely painful. And so I think that during high school and going into college, when I went to college straight out of high school, like I was so incredibly uncomfortable in situations and so tired of being the person at the, at the outskirts of the group and like never feeling heard. I think it pushed me to start like speaking out more and speaking out loudly and, Mm -hmm. um, just throwing myself into situations, even when it was really, really, really uncomfortable. Because yeah, I fell on my face a few times and embarrassed myself. But ultimately, I think I was able to finally get breakthrough at some point, probably in my early adulthood, um, where I could start to engage more confidently in interactions with other people and people that I didn't know and acquaintances Mm -hmm. that I just knew a little bit. Yeah. And it's interesting because I feel as if my whole life and with struggling with my social anxiety I've been alone in this and I feel as if there's no resources for me to turn to like nobody that I can talk to that understands what I'm going through and I just feel like a complete weirdo because only I have experienced the way that I've experienced life and as I'm kind of reaching a point now and in this moment right now, and especially the last few months, I've kind of feel as if I've kind of like, I've gotten over the peak of my social anxiety. I'm probably, everyone always has issues with communicating. It's a difficult thing on a human level, but I'm kind of coming down from that a little bit now. And I think I have a little bit more confidence in my social skills right now. And I can now see that this is like normal, right? And this happens to so many people and other people experience it at different levels based on where they went to school, who they were friends with, how their parents raised them, their personality type. So many different things go into it, Um, but it is normal and it happens. And I think now I feel a lot more comforted knowing that I've kind of hit, I've already experienced the worst of my social anxiety 
and now things can get a little bit better. And of course, I always will experience it, but that gives me that extra boost of confidence to even stop experiences or social settings from being awkward, just from holding that confidence myself. Yeah. Well, I feel like we've kind of come to some conclusions for this because <laughs> I, I feel, like, yeah. feel like we've talked about our <laughs> social anxiety, but then we've kind of talked about as well some of the solutions around it, like how you just shared, you know, you've kind yeah. of worked work through some stuff and for right now what's working for you is to kind of manage your energy and be okay with in certain situations not caring so much about the opinions of other people. Mm-hmm. Um, not giving away so much, so much of your energy in those situations. And then like having, as we mm-hmm. talked about as well, like having a way out of situations when you need to get out of a situation, like ways to get out where it's not an awkward exit from the, from the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with me, like, I think some of those realizations around, around understanding that most people have some degree of social anxiety. And as a result, most people are probably more preoccupied with what they're, what their experience was like and what they were saying or doing versus like thinking about me. And so that's helped me mm-hmm. to kind of give myself and others a little bit more grace in social situations. So yeah, yeah I don't know. And were there any of the things you noticed that kind of popped up in our conversation that were kind of like ways to work through it? Yeah. Well, two things I felt like I wasn't actually going to come full circle with this. I didn't think I was going to have any like solutions. I thought I was coming when I asked you to do this episode, I thought I was just going to like come on here and be like, guys, I'm dying. I'm suffering from social anxiety. I'm just the most awkward human (laughs) being in the whole world. But (laughs) instead I've definitely like have been realizing like, Hey, actually I've improved a lot the last few months and I'm really proud of myself when talking about and comparing the way that I was a year ago or when I was younger. So it's definitely amazing. And even just journaling about this on the other end for our listeners, if you feel like you're just in like the rut of being the most awkward human being, journal about it and compare yourself. Like you've been through some shit and now just hold more confidence for yourself. Um, And the other thing I was going to say about exits I know that lying is bad, guys. <laughs> I'm not I'm not out here telling you to lie. But sometimes a little white lie can save your mental health. If it, you need to just be if you're on the phone with someone and you just don't want to be in that conversation anymore or like sometimes if you're like for example, if you're driving and you're talking on the phone with someone and just suddenly you just hit a crash or they say something that makes you uncomfortable or you want to get out of that phone call, even just feeling like, oh, I just got to my destination. Like, I'm going to talk to you later, but you're still 20 minutes away. Like it happens, guys. <laughs> or even just being like, oh, I'm getting a phone call or oh, I have to go answer this or whatever. I know that like you're not supposed to lie, but like sometimes at the end of the day, like you need to, if you like need to escape a social situation and you need to just, (laughs) I don't know, Margaret's giving me a funny look right now. No, no, no. I'm just laughing because no, I, I, I do the same shit. I totally do the same shit. Sometimes yeah. like at work, I'll do, I'll, I'll do that. Like I'll hit a wall at work sometimes and where I'll just be like, excuse me, I have, I don't know. I'll come up with some bullshit excuse of something I have to do. (laughs) And I'll literally just walk to the bathroom and just stand in the stall and just breathe for like a minute. Like, okay, now I can go back in. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Or even just like, if you're, if you feel like you're, your boss is not very understanding of your mental health and you're just having like an absolute shit day and you go to your boss and you're like, Hey, I'm like really sick. I need to go home. And in reality, you're just like crying. 
and you can't function throughout the rest of your day. I don't know. I don't talk to us. I'm not a work ethic like professor, but <laughs> um, yeah, this is just being us being real and talking about social anxiety. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, Agnes, is there anything else you want to talk about before we jump into our gratitude prompt? Um, I think that's it. I just want to know what you're grateful for today. Um, as I was sharing with you before we hit record, I am grateful that today I was able to <clears throat> kind of focus on my house and do some deep or, or I guess organizing and cleaning. I was going to say cleaning, mm-hmm. but I was like, actually, I didn't do much cleaning. I did a whole lot of opening up cabinets and closets and like hauling everything out and getting rid of stuff and <clears throat> stowing things away, like because, you know, summer's coming to an end. So taking certain summer items in the house and kind of stowing them down in our storage compartments underneath the fifth wheel. And, uh, yeah, just kind of reorganizing, getting ready for the season change. So I'm very grateful that I had the time to do that today. How about you, Agnes? What are you grateful for? You're going to make fun of me. <laughs> today, what? I'm so grateful for Elvis Presley's music. <laughs> oh my God, you're such I, a nerd. I am such a nerd. I just think I love his music so much. Like I've, I've not... I grew up listening to some Elvis Presley music, but after I watched the movie, I was like a uh, musical genius. So then I started listening to his music and now I'm just obsessed. It's like literally all I listen to, all I've listened to for the whole summer. And my favorite song by him is Unchained Melody. It's just like, ugh, I listen to it all day. That's what I'm grateful for. I didn't, I don't know that song at all. And I actually don't even like really I'll know much about you. Elvis Presley. <laughs> There's a lot. I could really go into it. (laughs) (laughs) You're going through like what we went through a couple years ago when the movie Bohemian Rhapsody came out about Queen and like Casey and Brayden and I all watched it together and all of us went on a huge like Queen bender for like three months where all we listened to is Queen. We were obsessed. You know, it's interesting because I've never seen that movie. (gasps) <gasps> okay okay I've okay okay here we go here we go here's our goal for this week you listening guys our goals for this week <laughs> i know what you're gonna i'm say. gonna watch i'm gonna watch the elvis presley movie and you are gonna watch bohemian rhapsody okay we'll do it next week on <laughs> monday we'll have to report yeah um, elvis we'll, movie is on hbo now guys go watch it austin butler is the most amazing actor in the whole wide world fight me on that and Elvis Wait. Presley has a great voice hold on let me look up where Bohemian Rhapsody is hopefully it's okay. somewhere free yeah. and our listeners if you where... haven't seen the Elvis movie go watch it <laughs> it's amazing it's by the same director who directed The Great Gatsby so if you like The Great Gatsby Ooh. it's the yeah. same vibe I'm telling you it's the same vibe it's okay. so good yeah, and I'm reading so a book Bohe- on Elvis Presley. I'm just really obsessed. Oh my god, look at you! You're just <laughs> stalker much. <laughs> He's dead. I can't. <laughs> so Bohemian Rhapsody is on Hulu right now. So if anybody wants to watch that, okay. if anybody wants to get their Elvis Perfect. and their Queen on, there you go. HBO Max and Hulu. And go listen to Unchained Melody. It's just that song. The lyrics. I'm just going to talk about it for a second. Like 
one of the lyrics in the song is him just over and over saying, I need your love. And I just feel like it's so <laughs> like every time he says it, it's just like makes my heart just feel something because it's just like you he- you reach a whole different point of love, whether in any relationship that you have with someone where it's like, I can't live without your love. Like I need you in my life and I need you. And I'm just like, oh my God, <laughs> it's so good. So you guys have to listen to it. I'm <laughs> just fangirling over here. My, my avoidant attachment style over here is rolling her eyes going oh, desperate much. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not even that type. I'm not that type of person. I'm not that type of person. When you just hear somebody like <laughs> sing it in like such a powerful voice, it's like, ugh, I can't help it. I'm a simp. <laughs> it's very convincing. It sounds like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody. Well, thanks for tuning in. We will see you all. Thank you. Or no, in two weeks. In two weeks. Two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) We believe in the power of taking even one minute a day to breathe and find gratitude in the little things. Wherever you are, if you are able, close your eyes, take a deep breath in and out, and reflect on something that you are grateful for today. We are so honored that you could join us in this discussion today. And we hope you have a beautiful week. If you enjoyed today's Unrefined Woman podcast episode, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share. To check out other episodes, please visit our website at unrefinedwoman.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. To stay in the loop and receive access to additional content, please follow us on TikTok, username unrefinedwoman, and on Instagram at unrefinedwomanpodcasts. Special thanks to Walter Birdsong for the album cover, Margaret Rainey for our podcast music, Andrew Cioni for our gratitude prompt music, and Sean Butcher for editing and production. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. Okay, let's see here. All right, I hit record, so now we got to get through our bump. Okay. but yeah anyways i'm reading this book right now it's called elvis and i and it was written by priscilla presley who is his ex-wife and i think she wrote it in like the 80s or 90s um but it's just all about their life and i got it on on libby but i've been waiting to get it and i just got it today and i read like 50% of the book it's like a 400 page book and I read half of it at work today I was like hooked because it's just like all the tea like she is just spilling the fucking tea about like and it's like 
it's different because it's like you know these people right like you know who Elvis is you know who she is and like I know some of the side characters from like the movie and you just get all this tea on like his personal life like what he like how he lived his life but he was definitely like crazy (laughs) like when I say love Elvis Presley like I know he was fucked up I just really appreciate like his art um and his life is just fascinating but in like a morally conflicting way I don't know but he was like very controlling with her and he met her when he when she was 14 and he was 24 and they never even like even like and they like met and they were like friends like it was it's really hard to explain mind you this is in the 50s so it was like a different time um but like nothing really like happened between them but they definitely like had feelings for each other but then he like moved and there was like several years where she would like when she was in high school and she would like go visit him but I'm at the point where like she's just graduated high school and he still won't have sex with her so I'm like wondering when that happens apparently they're gonna wait to save themselves for marriage so anyway we'll see if that happens i'll update you i'll let you know yeah anyways he was also all right was freaky apparently they liked role play oh jesus (laughs) okay do they have bdsm going on tie each other up but they were like they would do like the the teacher student like (laughs) oh god the receptionist and the boss i don't know I never shit. understood. I never understood role play. It's not for me. Me neither. It sounds. I am like it's so. I'm like I know it's so cringy. I'm like this is to, uh, not real. Fucking fake. You can't sell me on this shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man. Okay, let's get into our episode. We gotta nice. clap and then All do right. our intro. Okay. Hey everyone, welcome to Unrefined Women. I am your co-host i <laughs> let me redo that okay 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 and i'm the co-host margaret this conversation is an on oh my god <laughs> let me try again hold on <clears throat> and i'm the co-host margaret this podcast is an ongoing dialogue between two sisters on the topics of spirituality religious trauma mental health family dynamics and spirituality uh i mean <laughs> Hold on. Hold on. I'll start my part again. Sorry. I fucked up. I fucked up. Hold on. (laughs) Dude. Okay. Is it this website? Is this website a piece of shit? Like what is happening? I I think so. It's okay. I said all of my part now. So now we just jump into talking about the episode. So let's just clap now and then. (laughs) 